Almighty God, to you all hearts are open and known. To you all thoughts are heard. To you nothing is hidden. And so, Lord, we agree in this house of worship before the altar that represents your presence that you are with us, that your spirit is alive in us, like the young people, we confirm that we are new creations through Christ. And we ask, Lord, that as your children, co-heirs with Jesus, you would hear our pleas, our cries for help, our burden of joy and grief. We ask, Lord, that you hear us as we grieve with those who try to make sense of tragic and violent evil behavior. We ask that you join us with them in their mourning, in their shock. Lord, we join with those who are in our family of faith who are experiencing similar tragedy on a smaller scale, but no less a burden to their souls. Lord, for those who are working through a diagnosis, we join ourselves in prayer. We pray for those who care for them. Lord, together we pray for those who are struggling emotionally and relationally. We recognize, Lord, that Satan is the author of chaos and he, he's always got a place to go and somewhere to create disorder. So we invite your Holy Spirit for your son's name's sake to intervene bring order to the chaos, whether it's in our house or in our community or in our world. And we look forward to your ultimate answer, Lord, the glorious return of our King. In the meantime, Lord, we ask that you give us the strength and spiritual maturity to endure until the end, until we finish our race on earth or we see our Savior in the sky. And we ask, Father, that you hear us as we join together in the words that he has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is our text for today. We'll read verses 1 to 17. In your pew Bible, that'll be on page 1071, 1071. John 15, verses 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear fruit, may more, bear more fruit. Already you are clean because the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the classic Charles Dickens novel, A Tale of Two Cities, you meet two men from very different backgrounds. They're Charles Darnay and Sidney Carton. Darnay's a young Frenchman of really wonderful character who is unjustly thrown into the dungeon in Paris during the French Revolution and he faces execution the next morning. Darnay is a young, excuse me, Charles Carton is, uh, Sidney Carton, I'll get it right, is very much a different kind of character. He's a guy who is a lawyer, but he's lived a kind of debauched life. He's a bit of a rogue and, and really hasn't done much with his life. He's kind of burned out and hasn't really made anything of his life, but he becomes friends with Darnay. And through the course of the story, he begins to engineer a plot where he will take Darnay's place at the guillotine. He will do a far, far better thing than he has ever done before. And at the very end, Dickens, before that execution takes place, quotes John 15, 13, saying, Greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. Now that's really the quintessential definition of that statement Jesus made. You know, when someone dies in the place of another, just as our Lord has done for us. This is the very essence of our salvation. But today I really want to focus on something a lot more realistic for us 
Certainly among us there may be someone who will die for another. It's always happening. But really, a more likely scenario, in fact, an essential scenario that I'd like to share with you has to do with not so much dying in a physical sense, but dying to self. And so I'd like to explain that to you a little bit. Jesus says he is the vine and the Father is the vine dresser. Now, a vine dresser is the person who is a farmer, but especially one who grows grapevines for wine. And if you've ever been by many of the vineyards that are here in our state and in the area um, around the various uh, wine uh, cellars in the area that, that offer tastings and so forth, then they'll tell you exactly what's going on in this story. But the main thing that any farmer can tell you is that Plants have designed within them this remarkable ability so that when you put a seed in the ground, no matter what the environmental conditions are, it will self-select and try as hard as it can to reproduce fruit. In a year where there's drought, the corn may only be four feet tall, but every ounce of energy that that plant can generate will go towards producing the fruit. And there is something that a farmer or a vine dresser in this case can do to help that natural process, and that is to prune away unfruitful vines so that those that bear fruit get the maximum nutrient from the soil and from solar energy. This is what Jesus is referring to in this analogy. He's describing a process where if you bear fruit, Resources will be directed your way in order that you might be more fruitful. And if you don't bear fruit, you'll eventually be cut away. I was thinking about that even as I was reading that scripture passage to you because I was remembering what I was doing yesterday afternoon, late in the evening. I was walking in my backyard picking up sticks. Anybody else been doing that after the big windstorm the other day? I was picking up sticks and I was throwing them on a pile where I would chip them up into little grinds of sawdust and throw them in the garden. And I thought, how, how much of a perfect illustration that is. Sometimes I even have to go out into the backyard. We have nine oak trees in our yard and I love them, but they are certainly a lot of work. And sometimes I have to take my little pruning saw and go out there and cut away dead branches and things. And you know why? Because they're simply inhibiting the growth that is necessary for the living branches. So when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, and as long as you abide in me, you bear fruit. It's pretty evident what he means by that. It made me think of Joshua when he told the people of Israel that as for he and his house, he would serve the Lord. It's a statement. It's a plain and simple statement. I remember when Laura and I first got married in the house we lived in, in Jeffersonville, Indiana, uh, the first thing we did as a, a couple that was really kind of a bonding experience was I had a door in my garage that uh, I bought at some kind of bargain sale and I wanted to replace the front door on my house but I was a little intimidated by the project and Laura being who she is she said you know what we can do this together and I said yeah if we screw up though there's this big hole in the front of our house <laughs> you know and she said we're not gonna mess up it'll be okay and so together we replaced that door, 
and it had a little window in it. And when I got done, I, I went to my dot matrix printer. Some of you can laugh about that. And I printed a little sign that I put in that window, and it just said, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Making that declaration is like saying, you are the vine and I am going to be one of your branches. It's a decision you make. Choose today where you'll sprout from and what kind of fruit you will bear. This is what Jesus intends for you to think. In fact, what Jesus says when he declares himself the branch is he's not declaring himself the source because he says that he's an extension of the Father. And so one way you could paraphrase what he's just told us is, is he's saying, watch me. I am in the Father and the Father is in me and I have told you everything the Father has told me. Then be like me. So he's telling you that you are linked directly to the Father through him if you abide in him. And all truth comes from the Father. And what does Jesus say to them, to us, is the most essential thing. He says, in this commandment that I give, I say, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. That's his command. When he says, abide in me, that's what he means. That's what he means is love one another as I have loved you. I would like to say that I think that this passage that speaks of laying down your life for another more likely means being set aside for another. I told Courtney this week where I was going with that, and she said, you know, I should read that John Wesley prayer then, and so she did. Because the statement Wesley makes that I try to pray every year with you at the first of the year, and, and I sort of like to pray it in my own way every day, is, Lord, let me be put aside for you if that's what you want. Not long before I was called to be your pastor, I had prayed that prayer and kind of resolved that if I had to stay up in the prairie in northern Indiana for the rest of my life, so be it. It's not an easy prayer to pray, trust me. God heard a lot of grumbling with that prayer. <laughs> but he was patient with me because I had to learn that important lesson that you must be willing to be set aside for God's purpose. In fact, I'll take it even further if you don't mind, and now's where I'm going to do some meddling. The old time preachers like to say that, you know, this, it ain't preaching unless it's meddling. Well, when Jesus says in verse 14, you're not my friends unless you do this. <laughs> That's pretty explicit, isn't it? We like to sing that hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus, but you know, he says you're not his friends unless you abide in him. And the abiding in him looks like this, love one another. Now I could talk a lot about what not loving each other looks like and how you could judge yourself severely for that, but I'm not going to say that. I just want you to remember that when you're not being loving to one another, 
Jesus says, you know, when you're like that, I can't really be your friend. <laughs> and so that kind of hurts. But he wants you to be fruitful in your love. In other words, what kind of fruit does the love bear? That's the question. What kind of fruit does love bear? Well, his love had him on the cross, but more than that, it had him set aside for us. Before he died on the cross, he descended from heaven to earth. Before he died on the cross, he became like us. And I think he probably gave up quite a bit in order to do that, don't you? He is, after all, God the Son. And he has left his place in God's throne room in order to be with us. And then, in being with us, he pays the penalty that we cannot pay. And it involves a cost that we can't really wrap our minds around it. And we'll talk more about that during the week prayer preceding Easter. But for now, just understand that he did more than die a physical death. There was something he bore for us that he alone could bear for us. And he alone had no... Uh, responsibility for. He wasn't guilty of anything. He bore the most precious price that God could pay for something he did not do in order that we might be redeemed for something we did do. And so when he says your love should bear fruit, then he points to us because here we are some 2,000 years after this incident that provided us for liberty and a place with God in God's house for the rest of our days and all of eternity. We're still talking about it because it was a love act that bore fruit. Now there are opportunities for you to love by being set aside and I want to talk about a couple of those so I'm going to really go deep with some meddling here. In marriage we have an opportunity to be set aside as an act of Christ-like love. When we are married to another person, we are melding our lives together, but we're also surrendering parts of our lives for the sake of the other. And I don't have to tell you what happens when you don't do that. I don't have to tell you what happens to a marriage where there aren't sacrifices for the sake of the other. <laughs> May I say it goes way beyond putting the seat down, fellas, and keeping your socks in the hamper. Ladies, it goes way beyond leaving his tools alone. It goes way beyond that. Sacrifice. Sacrifice, like Jesus is talking about, is that you would be put aside for the sake of another. That your self-interest would take a back seat to another. This is a sacrifice that is in the imitation of Christ. I'll take it further if you don't mind a little more meddling because parenting is the ultimate example of being set aside for the sake of another in the imitation of Christ. I'm here to tell you after raising five kids I've learned this lesson through trial and error and what I know for sure is the Bible's right. If we set aside our self-interests while we, for a season, raise children for the world, little witnesses for the world, 
we will be blessed and we will bear fruit. But be careful because if you don't let yourself be set aside for a season in order that those children might be witnesses for Christ, they will be witnesses for something. Might even be your self-interest that they witness, that they show. They are, after all, little mini-me's, aren't they? Like it or not, they do as you do as well as what you say, but mostly what you do. And so when Jesus says to us, the Father is in me and I have told you what the Father intends for you. I have shown you the Father's way. Now go and do likewise in the same way parents are expected to communicate the Father's will. That is the Lord God, our Heavenly Father. And parents are to show that to the children so that the children can go and do likewise. This business of being set aside for God's purpose is hard. It feels like dying. In fact, there's really not much difference if you think about it, because really, what's the difference between someone dying for another person and someone being set aside for another person? Because the outcome's the same. The one who sacrifices is no longer making their interests a priority. In fact, for the person who dies for another, their interests have ended. For the person who sacrifices for another, the interests should end at least for a time and for a greater good. Sacrificial giving of yourself is the best invitation of Jesus, imitation of Jesus, and he invites you to do that through love. What other than love gives us the cause to sacrifice? This is what the Confirmation gang and I talked about yesterday at some point. What separates us from all the other animals? We have a mind like God and God's mind has been communicated to us through Jesus and Jesus' message to us is love one another even if it costs you being set aside for a while. When we see people living in a way that puts their self-interests ahead of others, it is, in effect, anti-Christ. It's the opposition to our master's will. This is why he says, if you don't do this, you're really not my friend. This is a hard thing to hear. Jesus said, all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. And Micah, speaking of the coming Savior, says, do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. That's it. If you want to be like Jesus, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. I love how he says love. I really think that's amazing. He says love kindness. Think about what you love and how it affects your life. I'm meddling. If you love IU basketball, how does it affect your life? If you love pizza, boy, I do. How does it affect your life? If you love your children, how does it affect your life? If you love your spouse, how does it affect your life? 
Micah says, love kindness. Love kindness. Desire it above all else. Kindness. You know, I think sometimes we forget how easy it is to witness Christ in us to the rest of the world. All we have to do is be kind when everybody else is being a jerk. And in many ways, we've expressed kindness that is like Christ. You know Christ, the one who hung on the cross that he didn't deserve for a crime he didn't commit and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You know what the master is doing. You don't have to wait for him to tell you what to do. He doesn't call you a servant. He calls you to be his friend, which means you're with him. Let's just talk about friendship for a real quick second here. You, uh, you've probably seen some pretty nice sentimental cards in the, in, the, in the card section at the Walmart or whatever, right? You've, you've spent 20 minutes looking through cards for the perfect sentiment to share with someone. And, and there's probably one that says, you know, a friend is always there for you. A friend is always ready to accept you for who you are. A friend is always forgiving. Uh, a friend is always willing to stop whatever they're doing to be there for you. A friend is, is always loyal and a, a friend is always encouraging. And, and Jesus says, if you're my friend, you'll do what I ask you to do. I like this song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, but it's sort of one-sided. I wonder what Jesus sings about us. What a friend we have in Daniel. I hope he's singing that, but he might be going, man, I wish he was a better friend. But he'll come around eventually, because you know that's Jesus. He's like, yeah, you know, you'll be all right. You'll get this eventually. Gives you something to think about. So as a way of closing our message today, I want to use a prayer by A.W. Tozer. He's a really influential pastor and author and magazine publisher back in the middle of the last century. That's the 20th century. You know, when some of us have lived longer in the last century than the current century, it still feels weird to say the last century. I, I don't know about you, but here's A.W. Tozer's prayer. And this is our closing prayer for the message. Father, I want to know you, but my coward heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding, and I do not try to hide from you the terror of my parting. I come trembling, but I come. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self so that you may enter and dwell, where without a dwell there without a rival. Then shall, you, then shall you make the place of your feet glorious. You make the place at your feet glorious. Then shall you take my heart into your hands so that I have no need for the sun to shine in it because you are the light and there will be no night. 
And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.